What's up, everybody? It's Pastor James, and welcome back to our midweek Bible study. We are able to finish all of chapter 2 last week, and I'm pretty confident we can finish all of chapter 3 today. So let's go ahead and get started to make sure we give ourselves the most time to make sure we can finish up the whole chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's read verses 1 through 6 together. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. This is a covenant not written of laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Alright, so once again, this chapter starts off as a continuation of the previous chapter. Now, we talked about this last week in chapter 2, and and chapter 2 did that. The beginning of chapter 2 very much fits with chapter 1, and now chapter 3 is doing the same thing. And you know, we said last week, sometimes it's hard to understand why a lot of these writings got divided up the way they did in chapters and verses. Um... Sometimes it makes sense. Most of the time it makes sense. But sometimes how these things are divvied up, it just doesn't seem like it flows well. Well, chapter 3 is a good example. You know, like Paul starts off in verses 1 through 6, and it's very much a continuation from chapter 2. Um, and so if you just jumped in, like let's just say like somebody just wanted to start reading one day, and they open up their Bible and they just hit chapter 3 and they just started reading in verse 1, they would be a little lost because you wouldn't have the context. You wouldn't understand exactly what Paul is talking about because he's continuing on from what he was saying in chapter 2. So context is important. It's really important to make sure that you're you're not just reading a few verses of Scripture, just one chapter of Scripture. Always make sure you read everything surrounding what it is that you're focused on so you can get the full meaning of it. Now, the question that Paul asks, are we beginning to praise ourselves again, would be very confusing without the context of chapter 2 that Paul was uh, beginning to communicate once again his authority as an apostle that was given to him through Christ. Paul's not bragging on himself or his partners in ministry. He is just stating what is truth. And remember, Paul has been defending his his uh, authority as an apostle with these people ever since 1 Corinthians and now even again in 2 Corinthians. So Paul also asked them if he and his companions should have to bring letters of recommendation. Um, some... Uh, some versions of scripture, uh, some translations uh, will call them epistles. And so these epistles were letters of recommendation given to the apostles to do ministry. Well, we also call these books of the New Testament epistles, which are um, which is quite unique because they have been given authority from the writings of the apostles. And that's pretty unique. 
Um, as in many early church prophets and teachers would have been given letters of recommendation. So when Paul's asking this, you know, he he's saying like, should I bring you letters of recommendations from people? Like that would have actually been a very common thing, because you know these churches that are now being spread out over three different continents. Um, thousands of different churches, tens of thousands of people in these churches, there's no way that these people could have known everybody. There was no social media. There was no way to go back and know who certain people look like and whether or not they were legitimate. So having those letters of, um, of recommendation from the apostles would have been very important for someone coming into a new area to minister in the name of Jesus because if not... Anyone could have just showed up and been a false teacher and claimed to be an apostle and came in and just stirred up all kinds of trouble. So Paul tells the Corinthians that they themselves are the epistles or the letters of recommendation. Paul only needs for the people of Corinth to testify truthfully of the work that has been done in their lives. Everyone can see it, everyone can recognize it, and everyone can read it through their lives. Their lives are a letter from Christ that affirms Paul's ministry and the calling, which is much more powerful than any man's approval. And that's really important. You know, Paul had already been affirmed early on. That's how he started the ministry in Corinth, and it had huge success with them early on. So, um... This is very evident that these people's lives have been impacted through the ministry of Paul. They are his approval letter. All they have to do is testify. Um, it's evident through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Um, and, and Paul talks about how you know the, this letter is not written by human hands and it's not written on stone tablets. And this is very important because we'll talk about this again in a second as we read the, the last half of the chapter. But um, we'll continue on with this. But it's written on human hearts. And so the Corinthian people now believe in Christ. The truth of the gospel is written in their hearts. The uh, results are written in their lives. And so they can testify as to the legitimacy of Paul's apostleship. Now, we've said many times that if you just pick up and read certain passages that Paul writes, that he can sound very proud. And you have to be careful not to do that. This is one of those passages, and Paul himself realizes that what he's saying as the belief, as a, a minister, that, hey, your lives are a testimony of the work that God has done through me. That can sound a little prideful. And this is why he says in verse 4 that if he is only confident in this because of his great trust in God through Christ. Paul's not confident in his own abilities. He never claims to be qualified or deserving uh, through his own abilities or on his own, he always testifies that his calling and qualifications or gifts, as you might say, come only from God. It is God that enabled them to be ministers under this new covenant. And that is the topic that Paul is about to lead into for the rest of this chapter, this new covenant. <clears throat> and remember, I said that we're going to talk more about this um, about the letter that was not carved in stone on human tablets. Uh, now I want to ask you a question. I just want you to think about this for a second. What was the first covenant written on? Now when we talk about the first covenant, that's Moses on Mount Sinai. 
God gives him the covenant to take down to the people. What did God write the covenant on? It was written on stone tablets. What is the new covenant written on? Well, Paul says that the new covenant is written on human hearts. So Paul has been called to be a minister of this new covenant and enabled only by God to accomplish this task at hand. Now, this new covenant is not laws that are written down, but it is a covenant of the Spirit. And the old covenant in stone and writing, Paul says, always ends in death, but the new covenant through the Spirit gives us life. Now, this is important because as Paul is writing this, you know, he's originally writing this in Greek. And the word that he uses that we uh, translate covenant from is diatech. Okay? It's not spelled like it sounds, but it, it's pronounced diatech. And in the Greek language, this plainly meant the last will and testament. So, Paul was referring to the old covenant as kind of this last will and testament that was handed down from God. As in God had the power and we as people had no authority or ability to negotiate with it. So it's like a, a loved one has a last will and testament, gives this stuff to who they want it to, and everyone just has to accept it. There's no negotiations. It's just done. It was a decree that we had to accept by law. Now, as we're talking about this old covenant, we forget a lot of times that the covenant given from God, it was never negotiated between the people of Israel and God. And that's really important to remember. Um, now, God gave Moses the terms of the covenant. He said, this is the covenant. He wrote it down. Moses broke the tab the original tablets because he was angry. He come down. People of Israel were living in sin. He goes back up. He receives the covenant again, but Moses writes it down this time, and he brings the tablets down. So, God gave the terms of the covenant. The only decision the people of Israel had was to accept the terms of God or reject the terms of God. Thankfully, the people accepted the terms of God. And as important as this original covenant was between the people of Israel and God, this new covenant is far superior to the old covenant in every way. The new covenant supersedes every aspect of the old covenant. And yes, the old covenant does end in death. And we'll talk about that in a little bit after we read this next passage. So let's read about this new covenant as we finish up the last half of chapter 2. I'm sorry, chapter 3. So let's read verses 7 through 18 together. Paul says, The old way with laws etched in stone led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, 
we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened and to this day, whether the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with the, that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Alright? Now in this passage, Paul begins to describe how the Old Covenant led into the New Covenant. And Paul speaks truth about the Old Covenant and how it all it was always meant to be temporary. And we need to remember that as believers. You know, the Old Testament Covenant is important. It's very effective. It's very worthy of us knowing and understanding and, and living according to that covenant. Because there's a lot of things in the Old Testament Covenant that, like, if we live according to that covenant, we will benefit from that. God set that covenant up for a reason. Now, <clears throat> Paul talks about how the old covenant that was etched in stone with all of its laws led to death. Was Paul wrong to say that? And the answer is absolutely not. Because that's the truth. I mean, like, the truth is set in stone. The Old Testament covenant that God gave the people of Israel was a it was meant to be a revelation of how wicked they truly were it was the revelation of this is what god wants from you this is truly what god desires from your life and yet it was impossible for any of the people to truly live according to that covenant it's impossible for people to truly live according to what God wants from them. So if you read that Old Testament, in the first five books especially, those were the books of the law. Those are referred to as the Torah, the law. It simply reveals that we as people are sinners. We have no way possible of living up to according to what God wants from us. And what is the punishment for sin? It's death. So the Old Testament points us directly to death because we cannot live up to what God would have us to. Now, does the Old Testament law provide any way for people to be forgiven of sin? And the answer is no. Now, people will argue, but God called us to bring sacrifices and to do these things and to worship at the temple. And you have to remember as followers of God and as people who were living in Old Testament law, all of those things were temporary atonements for sin. There was never true forgiveness. And the whole Old Testament law, the whole sacrificial system, the whole temple system was always meant to be temporary. It was always meant to be done away with. And Paul actually writes about this in length in the book of Romans. So, um, it was always meant to be temporary. Now, why 
was their temporary atonement because it's there was a better covenant that was always intended to come later okay now does that mean the old covenant is bad does that mean the old testament is bad no it was actually glorious paul talks about how glorious the old testament covenant was as the people of israel like you know it was so glorious that it changed um the way that Moses looked like people couldn't even hardly look upon Moses face because of the glory of the Lord was was radiating from his face so even Moses had to cover his face because the gloriousness of the Lord was shining through him as a result of being in God's presence and receiving that covenant so Paul is writing that if we have an old covenant that was absolutely glorious and yet it led to death how much more should the new covenant be that leads to life through the Spirit? And Paul even says in verse 10 that the old covenant in comparison seems to have no glory compared to the new covenant. And so the old was temporary, but the new covenant that has been brought forth is eternal. This is this is the way that God always intended to be. The old covenant was temporary. It was always meant to be done away with when the new covenant could be established. Now, because this new covenant is eternal and it is better and we can have true forgiveness of sin and that's the reason why it is so much more glorious is because we have true forgiveness of sin rather than atonement for sin. Paul says that we are afforded the ability to be bold in our relationships with God. Like we can approach the throne of God with boldness. We can make bold claims to belong to God and to be loved by God because we have forgiveness of sin and we can be reunited with God because of that forgiveness of sin. Now, when you look at the old covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, Moses had to cover his face so the people would not shy away. And every time the glory of the Lord is revealed, it was simply a reminder of the separation between God and the people. The Old Covenant is still an indication and a revelation for us to the separation between us and God when sin is present in our lives. But Paul says that this is why people that trust only in the Old Covenant cannot understand truth because they are still blinded and they are still separated from God. Even though they're trying very hard to be united with God through the obedience of this covenant, really the covenant just continues to identify sin. So without the true forgiveness of sin brought forth by the new covenant, we are still separated from God. Okay, So when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says that veil is taken away, and the separation between us and God is removed. The Spirit is present, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's a very popular verse. A lot of people love to uh, quote that verse, and I encourage you to learn it. And remember that, for, for wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For everyone who has placed their hope and trust in Jesus Christ... They can not only see the glory of the Lord in boldness and confidence, but they can also reflect the glory of the Lord in boldness and confidence. So think back to the Old Testament with Moses and how he was reflecting the glory of the Lord, but he had to put the veil over his face 
because the people uh, he didn't want to scare the people away or anything like that. But but as people who are under the new covenant, we can reflect the glory of the Lord with boldness and confidence. We don't have to put that veil on like Moses did. So not because, and, and I say this, I want I want you to pay attention when I'm saying this. We can be bold not because of anything that we have done, but because of what Christ has done through us in His blood and the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Christ does in us and through us in, in the power of his blood and the Holy Spirit. So check this out. Now, this is important as we're getting ready to finish up for today. Anyone who is having difficulties trying to understand the Trinity. Okay. Um, I, I, I sympathize with you because it is like, you know, understanding the Trinity is somewhat like it's almost algebraic in a lot of ways like it's it's an abstract way of thinking and you really have to like move beyond the physical um the worldly mindset of being realistic and look beyond what is possible in our world so uh there there are times where i feel like i, I have a good understanding of the trinity and then there are times where i feel like ah uh, you know this still it's still confusing I, I i don't get it but in this verse okay in this passage um paul refers to jesus um pretty much every time paul writes paul mostly refers to jesus god and the spirit almost separately okay um He's referred to Jesus Christ as the Son, the sacrifice for our sins. He refers to God the Father. He refers to the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So there's so many times where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are referred to separately, and you would almost think that they were not connected. But in verse 18, Paul clearly identifies the Lord God, who is the Spirit. Okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all the same God represented in three different forms now there will be people who will argue with you there's no such thing as the trinity bible clearly identifies father son holy spirit as three totally different things and yes there's a lot of times in scripture where these three are identified separately where if you just read that one passage you would think oh it doesn't connect these at all but there are plenty of other passages just like this one where it plainly says that God is the Spirit, where Paul identifies him. Now, Jesus, who was God's Son, identified himself as the I Am. He identified himself as God. Now, <clears throat> that's important, because if Jesus is God, and if God is Spirit, and Jesus is spirit and the spirit is Christ. That's very important for us to understand and kind of give that credit where the credit is due. And so in this, I just want to remind you that Jesus acknowledged himself as being God. Okay. The apostles, Paul, all the leaders of the new, of the early church acknowledged Jesus as being God God is being spirit, spirit is being God, and Christ, that it is all the same thing, that it was, they all acknowledged the existence of the Trinity as, yes, they are identified as three separate things, but they're all the same. So I just want to throw that out there, okay? Sometimes it's just really important 
to address some of those little issues as we're reading in scripture and call attention to it that say this is why we believe some of these things so we're reminded periodically through scripture that jesus the apostles and the leaders of the early church always acknowledged that the father son and the holy spirit are three different forms but they're all the same god so hopefully this will give you a little more understanding today and doesn't bring you confusion um but I want you to understand today, God loves you. He wants to use his spirit to make us more like himself. And that's what Paul closes the chapter with, that God is spirit. Okay, God is the spirit. And God wants to use the spirit to make you more like him. Okay? Now, the question is, will you surrender to him? Will you surrender to that spirit and invite that spirit in to do that work in you because that's what God wants. And only you can answer that question. Alright, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to come together. To love you. Uh, to pray to you. To read your word. To seek your face. God, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves. Invite your spirit in. To change us and make us into your glorious image. Like you've always wanted. We love you today. We thank you for everything. We thank you for the new covenant. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ and true forgiveness of sin. Help us to serve you well and to truly be thankful for what it is that you've given us. We love you and ask all this in your name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in for another week. As always, we hope to see you in person. And if you cannot come in person to our services, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, and a podcast. We love you. We're praying for you. Hope you have a great week.